0: This
1: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Last week's news announcing the New York Attorney General's criminal investigation into the Trump Organization came with an added cherry on top. That the former guy's longtime CFO, Alan Weisselberg, was himself a focus of the AG's investigation.
2: Tonight, investigators zero in on a Trump organization executive. Chief Financial Officer Alan Weisselberg, the most influential person outside of the family in the top echelon of the Trump org, is now increasingly the focus of two criminal probes, one on Weisselberg himself and another focused on the Trump
1: Organization. The pressure on Weisselberg is mounting from two directions, with the attorney general looking into his personal taxes, while prosecutors in the district attorney's office are digging into his role at the Trump Organization, his personal finances, and benefits given to his son Barry, a longtime employee of the Trump Org. This
2: probe is likely to increase pressure significantly on Weisselberg to cooperate with the investigation into Trump's businesses, and possibly turn on Trump himself. Is coming just one day after Attorney General James announced her Trump organization investigation is now criminal,
1: not just civil. A significant change there. The play here is obvious. They need Allen to flip on Trump, and that's not an easy task. He has been with the organization since Trump's father, Fred, brought Weisselbergen in to do the books and is exceedingly loyal to the family. But loyalty only goes so far when you're facing prison like Allen and his sons. The prospect of both the attorney general and Manhattan district attorney, both circling him for blood, is only meant to ratchet up the pressure. I mean, it
2: is very important to get somebody who can put the knowledge and intent in Donald Trump's head to show that he knew what was on the return was false and that he was trying to defraud the U.S. government out of collecting its taxes. And Weisselberg is the key witness who can do that. He's the one that prepared the return. He's the one that worked with Trump in preparing those returns. And he knows what he said to Trump
1: and what Trump said to him. All this stems from a treasure trove of records turned over by Weiselberg's ex-daughter-in-law, Jennifer, in response to a grand jury subpoena requiring her to produce all of the records she possessed for her ex-husband's bank accounts and credit cards, plus his statements of net worth and tax filings. This included significant information about Allen as well. Jennifer, who you may remember from her appearance here on Maya Culpa, has been cooperating with the Manhattan District Attorney for months, as well as the Attorney General. Jennifer recently went on Erin Burnett to discuss the documents and her belief that Allen would flip. Will Allen Weisselberg flip on Trump? Yes. Wow, well,
2: I mean, no, no, no hesitation yes. at all with your answer there. The
1: urgency of getting Trump inside a courtroom is obvious. If the GOP retakes the House in 2022, we will have an extremist party still being run by a failed and unstable ex-president, setting up for a dangerous and unprecedented moment where Trump is dictating congressional policy from Mar-a-Lago. I mean, I, I can tell you, more people have come up to me on the street in the last week and given me hugs saying, we miss him so much.
2: I mean, literally, sometimes, Sean, with tears in their eyes, we miss the man so much. No matter what what you say about him, he loves this country and he's willing to fight for this country and I
1: think there's a real good chance, Sean. I think there's a uh, very, very good chance he'll be very happy. So think about it. There would essentially be two separate governments. Congress, with its enormous oversight power and ability to subpoena and draft law, would answer to Donald Trump. Mar-a-Lago would become a shadow White House. The MAGA agenda that we believe to be dead and buried would rise again. The only people enjoying what's going on in America right now are President Xi, President Putin, uh, the Iranian mullahs. They love it because they're watching the destruction of America from within based
2: on ridiculous incompetence. And you know, the Democrat Party is going along with
1: it because they actually believe these things. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> there are two remedies for this very real and scary potential outcome. The first is that the wheels of justice continue to grind forward and Trump is sitting inside a cell 2 years from now. Then we must continue to do body work on the GOP by linking them to Trump's most seditious and criminal behavior. <laughs> That's why having a January 6th commission that forces Trump and the GOP to account for their role that they played in the events around the violence at the Capitol. But it's already become tainted and partisan as GOP leadership have fallen in line behind Kevin McCarthy, first by purging Liz Cheney from her leadership position, and now for refusing to support the January 6th commission.
2: House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy came out against creating the commission yesterday, followed later by a formal recommendation by House GOP leadership for members to vote no. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell just announcing on the floor that he opposes the bipartisan bill to form a January 6th commission as it is currently drafted.
1: After careful consideration, I've made the decision to oppose the House Democrats' slanted and unbalanced proposal for another commission to study the events of January the 6th.
2: In a statement, former President Trump said, Republican lawmakers should not approve the commission, calling it a Democrat trap. It's just more partisan unfairness, and unless the
1: murders, riots, and fire bombings in Portland, Minneapolis, Seattle, Chicago, and New York are also going to be studied. Nonetheless, it passed the House with 35 moderate Republicans joining the Democrats in their call for a full accounting of the day proponents hailed the move to establish the commission as an ethical and practical necessity to fully understand the most violent attack on Congress in two centuries, and the election lies by Mr. Trump that fueled it. And I asked this about both McCarthy and, uh, and, and Elise Stefanik. Are they being complicit in what you consider the Trump lies?
2: they are and and i'm i'm not willing to do that you know i think that that there are uh, some things that have to be bigger than party that have to be bigger than partisanship our oath to the constitution is one of those uh, i've seen countries i've worked in countries around the world where you don't have a peaceful transition of power what's happening right now with uh... Uh, Donald Trump and and his continued attacks on the Constitution and the rule of law is dangerous. And and we all have an obligation to stand up against that.
1: Modeled after the body that stubborn the September 11th attacks, the 10-person commission would take an inquiry out of the halls of Congress and deliver findings by December 31st. We want independent, respected people to arrange a staff to do some very careful studies and to tell us what happened on that day, not just what we all know, but who, if anyone, did more, who betrayed their office, for instance. What was the president doing from the time he told people to go to the Hill? What was he doing in the White House? Um, th- there are a lot of questions, but those are the questions that be answered by the commission. It's that very intent which dooms the commission from passage in the Senate as the commission will broadcast the culpability of GOP senators and congressmen alike in propagating Trump's big lie and their willingness to whitewash what happened. It highlights for Democrats the pointlessness of working with a party that continues to block for Donald Trump.
0: Snoop Dogg Dog and D.I. Guess who's back? Steve. Still doing that, Andre. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Check me out.
1: It's still Trey A.K. And now for the main event. But there is hope for the GOP and its coming from the moderate, rational wing of the party who wish to break away from Donald Trump and abandon the MAGA agenda. This became clear when more than 100 Republicans, including some former elected officials, released a letter threatening to form a third party if the Republican Party did not make certain changes. Naming the effort A Call for American Renewal, This group is calling for the Republican Party to rededicate itself to founding ideals or else hasten the creation of an alternative. We are fortunate to have the group's co-founder on Mayor Culpa today, former Homeland Security Chief of Staff Miles Taylor. Prior to announcing his call for American renewal, Taylor was part of a group of former Trump administration officials who campaigned on the mantra country over party. Taylor was the anonymous author of an infamous 2018 New York Times op-ed that warned of the dangers posed by the former president. In the Times essay and in a subsequent book titled A Warning... Mr. Taylor anonymously described what he called Mr. Trump's immorality, writing that he witnessed the president's dysfunctional behavior as part of a quiet resistance within the administration of people choosing to put country first. He joins us again on Mea Culpa today for a wide-ranging discussion that covers the formation of this potential third party and the chances it has to actually take root within the GOP. So let's listen now to that conversation. Now, Miles, there's been a great deal of attention paid recently to a speech by Ulysses S. Grant that he gave towards the end of his second term in 1875, where he said the following words, and I quote, If we are to have another contest in the near future of our national existence... I predict that the dividing line will not be Masons and Dixons, but between patriotism and intelligence on one side, and superstition, ambition, and ignorance on the other. It's a kind of chilling prophecy, but it also shows that the antagonisms that tore this country apart 145 years ago are still very much alive today. What in your mind is driving this divide in 2021? And is there any antecedent with the past? Michael, it's a a great question. Thanks for having me
2: back, as always. I'm really glad to see people are citing back to Grant's remarks. And I don't want to claim to be Nostradamus here, but when I published my book about Trump, a warning two years ago, one of the final chapters, I led with that quote from Grant. And in there I said, look, Trump is sowing the seeds of division and he's setting the stage to potentially contest the election to say it was a coup, to say the system was rigged, and that could lead to violence. Now, that was, that was years before the January 6th insurrection happened. It didn't take a genius, I'm certainly not one, to see that that was the potential outcome of his rhetoric. And now I firmly believe that in Grant's words, we're veering towards a, a second civil war. But this civil war is a civil war of ideas. It's not the dividing line between North and South, it is indeed patriotism and intelligence on one side and ignorance on the other. Ignorance in the form of misinformation, mass untruths, and the mainstreaming of that misinformation and those untruths. And that's what I think is dividing this country so thoroughly, is we've gone from the idea of conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists being on the fringe of society To having those ideas and those people injected into the veins of the political discourse of this country, Donald Trump fomented it. But Trump or no Trump, it's a threat to this country, and and I think it's something that we've got to uh, address and confront.
1: Well, look, um, okay, Miles, I'll acknowledge that you're not a genius. I have to just say that actually, (laughs) that I actually am a genius, and um, (laughs) and I'll tell you what I did. Yeah, listen, one of us here has to be. Right. I would have to say it's probably you, but I'm going to take the role of that for a second. I actually well, I I actually know that Trump's intention is to divide the country and not to divide it necessarily Republican and Democrat. He wants to divide it as Trump's supporter And Trump, non-supporter. And those that are supporters, what he's really looking for is to take our democracy and to shred it and to turn this country into an autocracy whereby he is the leader, that he becomes the supreme leader. He is incredibly jealous of individuals like Vladimir Putin like Kim Jong-un, like Erdogan. He wants to be a dictator. And I've talked about this on my podcast before, when he would address other leaders. And we were one-on-one, like for example, with Mikhail Saakashvili in the country of Georgia. Now, I understand that it's not the United States. It's certainly not England. It's not France or Italy. But he is the president, or he was at the time president of this country. And he never referred to him as Mr. President. It was Mr. Dictator. And he did it as a joke. But now, hindsight being 2020 and looking back, it tells a lot about Trump. It tells about what goes on in the man's mind. And yeah, I agree with you. I think Ulysses S. Grant's statements are so appropriate for 2020 and and on and especially really from 2016 since trump became president
0: welcome to the beyond 28 podcast presented by chase a show designed to keep the conversation around Black history going all year long. Throughout the series, you'll hear discussions and stories as we take a deep dive into rich Black history connected by both the Bay Area and the Golden State Warriors. Growing up as a young Black man in the inner city, you're kind of bred with this certain toughness. Each month, a new episode will explore the influence and impact Black people not only have made historically, but also continue to make each and every day. props no music no nothing it's time to give our community the attention and celebration it deserves it's still black history month get beyond 28 everywhere you get your podcast made possible by the golden state warriors in chase
2: michael i'm so glad you referenced the foreign dictators because people need to know this i mean you had experience with him and And in the administration, I've got to say, his most senior national security cabinet secretaries had the same concern. They said he loves the dictators. He hates our allies. And the conclusion we almost all came to by the second year was not that, you know, he has some sort of very complex, nuanced understanding of, you know, foreign systems and thinks the Chinese system has better things, yada, yada, yada. No, it comes down to he admires people who have total control. He genuinely admires those who have total control. He's envious of it. And he would bring it up in the most surreal circumstances. I mean, in one instance, we were in his office talking about a national security matter. And and Donald Trump, apropos of nothing, said, you know, I just wish our border was just like the North Korean border. They do it so perfectly the spikes and the death and, you know, why can't we look like the North Korean border, Kim Jong-un's political system. And he went on and he just waxed poetic about Kim Jong-un. This is one of the most murderous men on the planet. And he was just in love with him. And you could only reach one conclusion, and that was the one that you reached, Michael, which is that he envied them because he wanted to be like them. And he wants to craft a political system like them. That will sound hyperbolic to some of your listeners, but I'm not being hyperbolic here. And neither are you. This is what Trump wants. He really wants an authoritarian system in the United States where someone like him is at the center and he's revered and loved and remembered. That's the legacy he wants to build. And if that's the legacy he builds, it will be to the detriment of our democracy and the demise of our country. America will be lucky to reach its 300th birthday if we stick with Trumpism for the next few years.
1: Yeah. And what's funny is sitting in his office, there was a story about Kim Jong-un, who was having some issues with his relative. I believe it was his uncle. And he believed rightfully or wrongfully, none of us will ever know because it is North Korea, that he was trying to overthrow Kim Jong-un. And so he had his uncle taken to a field and they tied him to a tree. And then he proceeded to take a rocket launcher and fire it at the tree where he did blow up the tree, uncle attached. Trump thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And he's like, that's how you do it. A guy tries to fuck with you. What do you do? you blow his ass up. Now, no, you don't. No, you don't. And you don't starve your people and make them eat dirt and shoot the guy who's trying to get across the border who's got a tapeworm that's six feet long in his abdomen. No, that's not what you're supposed to do. But Trump actually digs that. And when he would talk about the way that the the North Korean people would cheer and scream for, for Kim Jong-un when he would say anything that if in fact they didn't, he knew that they would be executed or you know put out to a labor camp. Could you imagine what he would have done to people like you or me? If in fact that he became an autocrat, there's a whole fucking list, Miles, a mile long, a lot longer than the Heritage Foundation's list of judges, that he would be whacking people daily, they'd come knock your fucking door down. Like in the old Gestapo days, they or you know, they would just drag you out and that would be the last time you ever saw your family or anybody ever saw you. Because Trump wants that. He truly thinks that it's cool. He thinks that that's the only way to, to, it's not to legislate, but to dictate. And it's scary. And it's scarier that 74 million Americans actually voted for this this orange-crusted, bloviated asshole.
2: Well, and and, and I would add to that, Michael, you know, people who are supporting this man still, who's going around the country and endorsing candidates and he wants to be relevant, they need to know that this is what they're signing up for. They need to know that the ideology of this man is what they're supporting. You gave a great example with Kim Jong-un's uncle. I give you another one when the Jamal Khashoggi story broke open. So this was a Saudi Arabian dissident who spoke out against the the Saudi government. And he, as we know, went to the embassy and he was tortured and chopped up into little pieces. Now, this was a U.S. person. This was someone who was a Washington Post uh, you know, contributor, chopped up into little tiny pieces. When Trump found out about it, did he? was he horrified? No. What he told us was he thought it was pretty cool. I mean, that is absolutely stunning. So you're right. His view of handling dissidents is not through the rule of law, It's kill him. You and me, Michael, you're right. If if Trump had had his way, we would have been whacked. And he's on the record saying these things. When he talked about the intelligence community whistleblower during impeachment, he said, well, you know what we used to do in the old days with traitors, suggesting they either shoot or hang the whistleblower who had followed legal process to raise his concerns. When I came out against Trump, his first words were to tweet out treason, question mark. Treason is something in the United States that's legally punishable by death. That's how he treats dissent. That's not how America was built. So people who endorse Donald Trump need to know this is what they're embracing is one of the most anti-American figures that has ever entered our politics.
1: Well, it's funny that you bring up the word treason, because one would think that the attempt to overthrow the government in order to interfere in a transfer of power in the election, that that would be considered treason, and yet- That's something that many people, myself included, believe that Trump is guilty of, right? The sedition on January 6th. Well, that would be something, wouldn't it? And then you and I could tweet out, you know, treason with a big giant question mark as they're putting his fat ass on the gallows. You know, it's funny because as long as it doesn't apply to him— he's, he's all tough, right? It's the same way that he's constantly attacking, you know, people by Twitter or now since he no longer has Twitter by this other method that he's using by using Fox and other, you know, sources to get out these statements, you know, from, from the former desk of the president, right? These statements, you know, it's all Donald Trump being a texting tough guy, you know? Let him do it and say it to you to your face. He won't do it. The same way that he's never really fired anybody, which is why The Apprentice was such a big joke, because he would never fire anybody. He would have other people like myself or myself and Don Jr. when we fired Corey Lewandowski. Right, and yet these people come back into his orbit because they're sycophants. You know, and it, as far as Jamal Khashoggi, I mean, that's just a whole nother. He happens to be the cousin of a very close friend of mine that I've known, you know, since the '80s, since 1984, when we went to college together. And I can tell you, it's it's no joke, and you know, it's it's completely inappropriate. And what was even more inappropriate is the fact that when Mohammed bin Salman was being accused of this. Horrific act. The very first person that he and the only person he wanted to speak to was Jared Kushner. I mean, you got to turn around and say WTF on that one.
2: Well, uh, and look, and I'll add to that, you know, when that episode happened, of course he was in touch with Jared. And and Jared's response, you know, communicating back and forth with him was, come on, you got to give the guy a break. I mean, if our neighborhood was like his neighborhood, he'd do the same thing. So, I mean, Jared took the same approach that his father in law, Donald Trump, did. To dismissing these human rights concerns but i want to go a step further and say this i mean the big question becomes how do we prevent the gop from continuing to enable donald trump and trumpism how do we move on from that and for the past four years you know donald trump it's, it's been every about you know what we're against the whole every single grievance he raises he's he's against somebody or someone's against him it's time we got to start talking about what we're for and we have to start grading people against what we're for. So you probably saw recently, we released something called A Call for American Renewal, and it's at a com. And all it is is 13 principles, like the 13 original colonies of what our political parties need to stand for, democracy, truth, objectivity, and on down the list. We had 150 prominent Republicans sign it, former governors, senators, congressmen, people who've chaired the party, like Michael Steele, people who've run state parties, people who have been at all different levels of government, former cabinet secretaries of Republican administrations, all of whom said it's time for the GOP to either fix its act or we're gonna replace it. And we're gonna we're gonna base that decision on whether they follow these principles. And that's our starting point. But we're gonna get involved, Michael, in these races. You know, Trump's on the other side of it, trying to endorse radicals. We're gonna go endorse rational people to run in these races, to defeat the radicals, to try to bring some sanity back to our system. And if we can't do it in the GOP, we're going to break away and do it elsewhere.
1: Yeah, you know, going just back for a quick second to the Khashoggi uh, matter. I mean, while I was in prison, there were two books. um, I mean, I read 97, but two of them in particular that I actually read, one was The Killing at the Consulate, which was an absolutely horrifying book if you know, you want to put yourself into the position of what was going on there. And the other was, believe it or not, was uh, called MBS. And you start to take in the information that's provided and you have to learn to read a little bit through you know through the lines uh, and especially being that I know Kushner and I know the players that were involved, I can start to see acts and things that were happening, and it just goes to show you, Mohammed bin Salman is so much fucking smarter than Jared Kushner. He's playing him like the dope that he actually is, getting what he wants, right? Which was in order to become a, a, you know the the king, right? The the deputy crown prince and. Using Kushner in order to get U.S. support, you give an inch, Mohammed bin Salman took 10 feet, and Jared thought, oh my God, I'm doing such a great job, I'm so great, I'm going to get a fucking Nobel Peace Prize for everything that I'm doing, meanwhile... I know the Mohammed bin Salman's of the world. I actually represented prior to working for Trump. I represented some of his family members, some of his cousins, other members of the royal family there. And, you know, I understand their culture. I understand them as individuals. You know, in order to keep your power, there are things that you need to do. And they're just so much smarter and more devious than Kushner, who considers himself to be, you know, an all-time genius because daddy bought him into Harvard. But you asked a great question. What does the GOP need to do in order to stop Trumpism, in order really to stop Donald Trump? And I think a lot of it is happening right now, thanks to people like Tish James and people like Cyrus Vance. And now they're collecting collaboration on the investigations that are going on. Because mm-hmm. the answer is, The only way you're going to get the vast majority of these supporters, and I'm not talking about these radical racists who want the status quo to constantly remain the same, anti-black, anti-Semitic, you know, anti-Hispanic. I'm not talking about anti-Brown. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the others that make the, as we'll call them, the silent majority. The only way to do it is they have to convict Donald Trump. They have to convict that whole inner circle and basically slap these people in the face with a lock him up with the notion that this guy is nothing but a fucking grifter who is taking you for a ride. And like me, you woke up, they put Visine in your eyes, they cleared your ears, and now you're able to see and hear who he really is which is, as I say all the time, this racist, sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic, treasonous bastard. That's who he is.
2: Well, you know, look, if he ever writes another book in the future, Michael, I think that should be the quotation on the front is, is your review of Donald Trump that you just gave. It's a great one. And I think you are right. The only way to deal with a man who stands so firmly against the rule of law is to bring the law to his doorstep. That's the only language he speaks. And and Trump wants to institutionalize low-level thuggery in our government. And the only way you deal with a gangster like that is you deal with him by bringing him to the court of law. You bring him into the justice system. You hold him accountable. And, and look, I don't know what uh, Cy Vance has found. I don't know what Tish has found. I don't know what These other investigations have found. But based on what I witnessed, Donald Trump is reflexively criminal in his behavior, his instinct, his core drive is to work outside the rules, outside the system and for his own self-interest and not not the national interest. So it would not surprise me the least if they come knocking at his door in the near future.
1: Well, that'll be a good day for all of us. Now, Miles, you're one of the leaders of a faction of 150 GOP lawmakers and prominent conservatives called the Call for American Renewal, which is calling on the party to turn away from Donald Trump, as well as the MAGA agenda, or face the prospect of the party splitting into two. Now, I know we were talking about that, but my first question I would ask you is what took so long for moderates to get to this position? And secondly, do you think it's politically feasible to start a third party that opposes the Trump agenda but upholds conservative principles?
2: Well, here's let me answer the, uh, the the first question first. And I would say one of the reasons it took, I think, a number of, you know, center right and centrist Republicans to get to this point is they realize that with Donald Trump, they can't get to 50. Donald Trump cost us the House, the Senate, and the White House. It's the worst shellacking Republicans have taken since Herbert Hoover. This is not a man that can put together a winning political coalition. He won in 2016 on a fluke. He can't be the standard bearer for this party. So that's the first question. Your second question, can a breakaway movement be successful? And my answer is yes, and here's why. Because the Republican Party can't win without the pragmatists. It doesn't have enough numbers. It doesn't have the votes. If a big chunk of the party, I'm not saying 50%, even 30% or 20%, even if 10% of the Republican Party broke away and said, y'all have become too radical, instantly, that will put them in a forever minority in American politics, and it will make the Democratic Party uh, you know, a one-party state. Uh, In this country. So the GOP has got to listen to these voices. Again, these senators, these cabinet secretaries, these former Republican governors, these are prominent people who've come out and said the GOP must fix what it's doing or we're gone. And they're going to bring hundreds of thousands, millions of Republican voters with them. If the GOP doesn't clean up its act and again, stop supporting the radicals and start supporting rationals in our politics. So my preference is not to go start a third party right out of the gate. That is the Mount Everest of political challenges. What we would like to do is work within the GOP uh, to pull it back to the middle, much like you saw the Tea Party emerge 10 years ago and pull it to the right. The Tea Party was a small libertarian insurgency that GOP leadership laughed at at the time. I remember I was in the House and I worked for Republican leadership and they mocked the Tea Party and said, these guys are gnats and we'll swat at the gnats. But then they had to take them seriously when the Tea Party started winning seats. And then in the span of a decade, they went from a small insurgency to the dominant force within the party that then became a cult of personality around Donald Trump. We want to reverse engineer that. And we're gonna reverse engineer that. You could think of it this way, Tea Party light, but less to the right. We want to be an insurgency of rational Republicans towards the center right to pull that pendulum back in the other direction. That's what we're going to try to do. If we're unsuccessful, then you know what? Then the the best we can do is burn it down. But our goal isn't to burn it down. It's to put a more hopeful alternative vision forward that Americans can support and get us back to pragmatic governance and get us away from the crazy.
1: Well, it's that pragmatic governance is what permitted Trump to become president in the first place. He jumped on that popularist view of anti-politician oh all politicians are corrupt right therefore i'm the anti-politician politician candidate and look at who you're putting me up against hillary clinton the clinton machine the you know poster child for what donald trump tried to deem as right the corrupt politician and he managed to carry that message So well, because look, whatever Donald Trump is, and Donald Trump is an idiot, but what he's good at, he's good at. And that's bullshit marketing. He'll market a garbage steak and sell 10,000 steaks. He'll market some horrific hot dog that's made from roadkill and sell it, slap his stupid name onto it. But then again, like everything Trump slaps his name on, people figure it out they start to realize that it's really nothing more than garbage all rolled together and sold as a hot dog. It tastes like shit because it is shit. And then what happens is they end up stop buying it, the company goes under, and that's why Trump lost in 2020. When you lock down 22 hours a day on home confinement, you begin to miss the simple things that many people take for granted. For me, that includes the simple pleasure of sitting down in a restaurant and ordering a steak. Luckily, I love to cook, and Omaha Steak delivers restaurant-quality cuts to my doorstep, allowing me to recreate my favorite recipes in the comfort of my home, surrounded by the people I love. So, thank you, Omaha Steaks, for keeping me stocked with the meats. But I also want to remind those of you free to leave your homes that summer is almost here, and that means backyard grill-outs. And it is not complete without Omaha Steaks. Visit OmahaSteaks.com and enter keyword Cohen in the search bar to order the mouthwatering Let's Go Grill package today. Not only will you get great savings, you'll get the tasty bonus of 12 ultra juicy Omaha Steak burgers free. That's almost four pounds of free burgers. To top it off, you'll also get $20 off your first order. The Let's Go Grill package includes four butcher-cut filet mignon, four boneless pork chops, one pound of chicken breasts, four kielbasa sausages, and so much more. I'm not gonna lie, you've never had steaks, chops, and sausages this good, and I've eaten the best, trust me. Here's to warmer days filled with fun family memories and epic backyard grill-outs featuring the best steak of your life. Guaranteed. So go to omahasteaks.com, use the code word Cohen in the search bar, and for a limited time, get 12 free Omaha Steak Burgers and $20 off a checkout on your first order. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword Cohen. Now, you know, Miles, since you became a prominent voice of the Trump resistance, obviously, and I know this unfortunately too well, your life has changed dramatically, along with people like Chris Krebs, um, Olivia Troye, who was on this program as well, and others who exposed presidential misconduct. Can you explain to my listeners some of the difficulties and the threats that you faced?
2: Yeah, you know, look. No one needs to play the violin for me, Michael. I mean, I went into this eyes wide open. I knew from the moment I published the anonymous op-ed against him that I was going to come out in my own name before the election and go after him full throttle. I knew I was going to detonate my life. But if I'd done that, Michael, during, let's say, the Bush administration, I'd worked for George W. Bush, loved the man. But let's say I didn't. And let's say I quit that administration in a blaze of glory and I campaigned against George W. Bush. There'd be a lot of Republicans that were mad at me. But that'd be about it. A lot of Republicans that were mad at me. In the era of Trump, dissent in America has taken a full nosedive, a full nosedive to the point that coming out against Trump ended up costing me my uh, job, my home, a close personal relationship, friendships and my personal security. And I know you had experiences with this, too. I mean, we were getting very serious death threats and other threats against us that we had to move between locations, had to have a full-time bodyguard, had to make sure that I had had my concealed carry license around the country, that I carry, that I'm armed when I travel because of these lunatics. I mean, we still have ongoing investigations related to people trying to stalk and harass our extended family. These These deranged types that have drank the MAGA Kool-Aid of Trump and it's something that we continue to deal with. But again, no one's got to feel bad for me. What they need to take away from that, they should look at my example and your example, Michael, as a symbol of what's happening to open discourse in this country. We are supposed to be a free and open society. This is not what a free and open society looks like, right? If if, if the Democrats, and I'm not a Democrat, came out and said something, if the Biden administration announced something I didn't agree with, uh, my goal would not be to go kill the person that was leading That announcement. My goal would not be to threaten their family members in their homes, to send pictures of their children out on the internet with their home addresses. That's not okay. But that's the world that we live in today. And it's something, again, that was fomented by Donald Trump. We've got to stand against it. And you mentioned a lot of my friends have gone through things like this, Chris Krebs, Olivia Troy, and others. I've watched people Uh, whose marriages got ruined, whose lives got ruined, but more than anything, whose personal security was destroyed by simply telling the truth. Now, the last thing I'll say on that point is this. When the price of dissent is high, you can only do one of two things. Like in any marketplace where a price is too high, you've got supply and demand. So you can either reduce demand for the good. In this case, it's the truth. But we don't want to reduce demand for the truth. We want the truth. So what's the only way we can reduce the cost is by increasing the supply. By speaking more truth, by getting more people to be unafraid to speak the truth, you reduce the price of dissent. And that's what people need to do in this country. We can't be afraid. We can't let people in our communities who hold radical political views scare us from saying, you know what? No, that's not okay." So it's not just the me's and the you's in the world. It's our neighbors. It's our friends. It's our family need to stand up and also speak the truth. And that's the only way we will lower the price of dissent and not have it be so costly to say what we know to be true in our country.
1: Absolutely agree with you 100%. But Miles, in a recent tweet, you remarked that you detest, and I quote, you detest the new McCarthyism, which to me stands for the rejection of reality to appease an authoritarian scumbag combined with a sickening level of obsequious toadyism. Now, if you would discuss with me first the more obvious reasons why McCarthy is rejecting the establishment of a January 6th commission. He's obviously greatly exposed and could face a subpoena to testify on his interactions with former President Trump on the day of the insurrection. If you would Discuss with me the GOP's seeming um, intransience on acknowledging what happened that really sick day and what there is to gain politically by taking this stance. Is it just self-preservation or something else?
2: Well, there's only one way to think of it. And, And by opposing the January 6th commission, it's like the Republican Party is pleading the fifth. They're essentially saying, yeah we're guilty. We were complicit in this. And I hope that maybe from our conversation, we can get uh, the new McCarthyism trending as a hashtag, because that's Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, the head of the Republicans in the House of Representatives is putting his name on this. He is branding this. uh, And and it is so nakedly obvious that what he's trying to do is avoid culpability. He's trying to show, uh, he's trying to avoid having to frankly, say what actually happened. And like you said, to not testify, that's very Trumpian to its core is that Kevin McCarthy's own self-interest is on the line. So he's gonna subordinate the national interest in his favor. This is the same Kevin McCarthy who immediately after the events of January 6th said there needed to be a panel stood up to review it. A panel like the 9-11 Commission. That's all we're talking about. We're not talking about a partisan exercise. Incredibly, this has been turned into something that's viewed as partisan it would be a bipartisan panel and the agreement that was reached was a bipartisan agreement in congress it was the only time in our lives that the citadel of american democracy was stormed by people who wanted to go in some of whom wanted to go kill the vice president of the united states some of whom wanted to go kill our own elected members of congress that seems to warrant a commission to simply review what happened how we got to that point and how we stop it from happening again but we've got to worry. I mean, this thing is a cliffhanger right now. The bill went from the House to the Senate. Now the Senate's got to consider whether they support it. It did pass the House. 35 Republicans defected from Kevin McCarthy. And thank God they did. And they supported this panel. But it's it's going to be a nail biter to see whether this passes in the Senate. But it absolutely must pass. uh, And if it doesn't, it's because of the new McCarthyism in this country, the Kevin McCarthyism, which is about burying the truth as deep as
1: possible and let's not forget that when we started this conversation talking about treason he's obviously concerned that he could be charged with treason in this specific case let's not for, let's also not forget that the military knew that this insurrection was taking place but they were told to stand down and we still to this day don't know why we don't know who gave the order you know it reminds me so much of you know i just finished watching the handmaid's tale right? Where, you know, what do you get for treason? It's on the wall. And that's what they're all concerned about, that there is a group of these individuals that guaranteed are somehow tied into this January 6th, from Ted Cruz to Don Jr. to Josh Hawley to uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. All of them were there. All of them were telling these, these individuals that were outside, these insurrectionists, to storm the cap Donald Trump himself, the fucking dope turned around and said, I'll see you at the Capitol. And then of course, what did he do? Being the chicken shit that he is, he went running back to the, you know, to the um to the White House under, of course, full protection, so he could turn around, watch television, and watch these individuals that he rowdied up the crowd to go and to storm the Capitol for exactly what you stated, to go kill the vice president. Listen, I met Mike Pence hundreds of times. Not a bad guy, not somebody I would vote for, but is he's he was our vice president. I would not be I would not be interested in seeing a group of people killing the vice president because he refused to do Donald Trump's dirty work, which goes back to what I said to you. You Miles and I, we'd both be on that list. But so would Mike Pence and others who went ahead and they refused to do Donald Trump's bidding, and that's to interfere in the peaceful transfer of power, something that is essential. Essential to our democracy. Well and, and essential.
2: And, uh- I'm glad, Michael, you mentioned Vice President Pence, because, look, I've been deeply disappointed in watching his reaction to all of this. And Pence is going to try to he's already trying to lay the foundation for a run for the presidency. But I think it is deeply disqualifying uh, his behavior over the past few years, his obsequious attempts to please Donald Trump to the point that even after insurrectionists tried to kill him in the Capitol, the vice president wouldn't say a bad word. Uh, about Donald Trump, that is deeply alarming to me because the people who support those who advocate for the guillotine and Donald Trump is a burn it down guy. He wants the guillotine, whether it's against dissidents like us, Michael, or, or anyone else that stands against him. But people who support the guy who wants the guillotine ironically find themselves under the guillotine as time goes on. And Mike Pence found himself in exactly that cir- circumstance is he fomented Trumpism, He helped embrace it, support it. He put his own brand on it. And then, look, they came after him. And he's still so brainwashed by it that he won't say it. That should be alarming to Americans. And and I think it's a a testament to how warped the truth has become uh, in this country, the loss of objectivity. And I'll say one other thing. It really comes down to this. As we watch the vote in the Senate about whether there's approval of a January 6th commission, there's just two types of people in this town uh, these days. There's the arsonists and there are the firefighters. And the arsonists right now, I'm worried, are still dominant. It's the Donald Trumps that are going to go start fires, but they're too chicken shit to stay. And they go start a fire and then they run and they burn things down, right? The firefighters are the ones willing to put their lives on the line to save our institutions, to save the House. Do we have more firefighters than arsonists in the U.S. Senate is going to be the question when they take up the bill on the January 6th commission. And I hope that if the vote... Uh, is successful, then we'll move forward with due haste. If it's unsuccessful, I hope people remember the names of those senators that voted against it and take that to the ballot box in the next election.
1: And that they. Unfortunately, they generally don't because it's either obviously a red state, a deep red state, or a deep blue state. Obviously, the blue state has no relevance in this conversation. But the deep red state, you know, oh, well, he was sticking up for Donald Trump. Therefore, he's our guy. And the problem with Mike Pence in terms of contemplating a run for the presidency. Donald didn't really want Mike Pence in the first place as vice president, it's just that nobody else wanted to be his vice president because nobody thought he had a prayer in in, in the world in order to win. And the affiliation with Trump after those incredibly intelligent, you know, um, words At the announcement of his presidential run where he attacked Mexico and Mexicans, nobody wanted to be anywhere near him. But Mike Pence knew that he had no shot ever at being, you know, the possibility of being the vice president. And he knows, he doesn't have the personality to be president. He's just a weird guy. You know, he won't sit in a room with a woman unless Karen, his wife, is sitting right next to him. You know, because a man and a woman should not be in the room. I mean, he's so archaic in his thought process. He's so fucking weird that there's no shot in the world that we have to worry about a Mike Pence as president of the United States. That's just not going to happen. I want to just jump um, and ask you about this. The Arizona GOP continues its fruitless quest to investigate the 2020 election through a controversial vote recount. Now, if you can, can you discuss with my listeners what they think that they're going to find out or what Trump has told them to find and how this is emblematic of the modern broken GOP that we were just talking about? It's,
2: it's deeply disturbing. We are, we are half a year almost away from the inauguration of a new president. And we've still got GOP factions around the country questioning whether that election itself was even legitimate. I think that is symptomatic of how the GOP has been rotted to the core by Donald Trump is that there are still these ongoing and totally baseless reviews of the election. Now, I have to say from personal experience, personal experience, this was one of the freest, fairest, and most secure elections in modern history. Why do I say that from personal experience? Because when I was at the Department of Homeland Security, When I was the chief of staff at the Department of Homeland Security, I oversaw our efforts to secure elections around the country. It wasn't a partisan exercise. It was a totally nonpartisan exercise carried out by good civil servants who know what they're doing, whose hearts were in the right place and wanted to make sure that we protected the vote, that every vote in this country was counted and that it was counted correctly. And my good friend who you mentioned earlier, Chris Krebs, led that agency within DHS that was responsible over multiple years for putting in place a structure to make sure the election was as secure as possible. Despite that, we still have Trump having spread the big lie that the election was stolen, and we've got people following his lead around the country. The rot isn't just in Washington, and people need to remember that. It really is, all the way down to the state and local level, is the Trump team They understand that politics is local. They understand that they needed to install Trumpists as state Republican party chairs and elsewhere. And those people have continued to flex their muscle and exert their influence long after Donald Trump has left office. And it's something that the voters should be worried about. Thankfully, there are Republicans in Arizona who've pushed back in Maricopa County and said, this is a totally illegitimate review. The election was done securely and they hired some third party to come in that has allegedly bungled the review, that's scary. But what we need to derive from this is that the fight isn't over. And I was one of those who on January 5th thought, look, I'm done with politics. The fight's over. We defeated Donald Trump. I'm going to put my head down, go back into the business world and move on with my life. But then that happened. And then we've seen more and more of these things continue to happen. The fight is not over. We're going to spend the next several years trying to excise These authoritarian strains from our politics that Trump really brought into existence, that whether he, you know, 10 years from now, whether Trump's alive or not, I think we're still going to be dealing for decades with that legacy. So it's important for people to stay in the fight and stay engaged. And that's why, Michael, I'm grateful that you flagged a call for American Renewal dot com. We're trying to enlist people in that fight to make sure that we don't let those anti-democratic forces come back in 2022, 24. And beyond.
1: Yeah. I mean, the notion that Donald Trump is going to stop perpetuating the big lie, it's just never going to happen. Because why? Because he's a fucking narcissistic sociopath. I mean, if that's not just plain and simple, that's just who he is. I mean, talk about being a narcissistic sociopath. The guy shows up to somebody's wedding. I don't even know if he was invited he shows up because it was at Mar-a-Lago, and he believes Mar-a-Lago is his, even though, of course, people are paying like 250000 300000 for a membership in a bond. So this stupid asshole shows up to somebody's fucking wedding, and of course he knows everybody that's there, and it was people he knew for at least 30 years. And he gets up and he gives a speech to the happy couple. He doesn't wish the groom, you know, good luck, the bride, you look beautiful, right? Congratulations, you should, you know, go forth and prosper and have many children and enjoy life together and come here to Mar-a-Lago for a 100 years. He talks about the big lie. They stole the election from us folks. That's just what a wedding a, a wedding needs is Donald Trump his stupid stump speech that you hear every single time that somebody gives this asshole a microphone. It's comical. I mean, if it if it wasn't actually true, if it was a reality show maybe, it would be funny, but the fact that it's true it's scary and i'm i'm all with you on that and i'm with you with um you know this whole call for american renewal this is no this is no joke when you have somebody as mentally screwed up as donald trump with this incredibly inflated ego this narcissistic sociopathic disorder this is what he's going to do and he will continue the big lie until Either he's incarcerated or he's deceased because his fragile ego cannot permit people to see him as being the loser of an ele- How could Donald Trump lose an election to someone like Joe Biden? I mean, compared to, to Donald, I mean, you know, Joe Biden is a nothing. And this is all what goes on in Donald Trump's crazy warped head. You know, it's I mean, it's sad, but it happens to be true. Yeah,
2: I, you know. And it's, it's, it's so evident by the way he talks. I mean, granted, thank God he can't tweet anymore. I'm pleased that people are calling him Florida blogger Donald Trump. Uh, just last week when we came out with this announcement of, of a call for American renewal, he puts out a 10-sentence screed against me saying, I've never met Miles Taylor in my life and blah, 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 blah. And of course, as soon as you criticize him, he forgets that he knows you. What's so funny is we've got Trump on the record remembering he remembered me, And other times forgetting he's forgotten me and forgetting that he remembered me and having no idea what he's talking about, because whatever serves his interest in that moment is what he's going to say. And of course, he can't stand the notion that people who served in his administration came to see him as the deeply incompetent sycophant that he actually is. I mean, I got to tell folks all the way to the highest levels. I mean, not enough of them have spoken out. A lot of them spoke out. They were more at my level than at the cabinet level, but they all they all saw it. They all knew this was the case, that Donald Trump was incompetent and unfit for his job. And I think that's why when I published the op-ed originally, it drove him so crazy is because I said, look, the majority of his team knows that he's a fool. And that just drove him indiscriminately crazy. And we're now dealing with the aftermath of uh, one of the biggest tantrums that's been thrown in the history of the world. Perhaps the biggest tantrum thrown in the history of the world was Donald Trump's uh, refusal to accept his loss in this election. And Americans are paying the price.
1: And that's what I said going back to my house oversight. I knew it in advance.
0: Soon from Audio Up, the third installment in our epic teenage horror musical mashup series, Prom in Hell. Ain't
1: no motherfucking prom king, bitch. Starring
0: Jaden. What
1: the f is going on at this school?
0: Nessa Barrett. It's
1: down.
2: What's up, Mr. Jaden? It's Nessa Barrett. I'm prom in Hell is for
0: Comedy Musical
1: Podcasts. Featuring me and some of my friends.
0: Prom in Hell, coming soon
1: from Audio Up and No Cap events. Hi, folks, Michael Cohen here, and we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics. So if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, you have to check it out. Make sure to download Friday's episode that gives tips for how a friend or loved one can best protect themselves from a stalker ex-boyfriend's deranged threats. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show, like the May 11th interview with legendary trainer to the stars, Tim Grover. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. But Miles, in response to Liz Cheney's remarks on Jake Tapper's The Lead that the GOP members voted against impeachment out of fear for their lives. You tweeted the following, and I quote, it's sort of like the Trump cabinet secretaries who privately said that he was a threat to America and then said nothing in public. If you would, unpack for me what you meant here and who specifically were you referencing?
2: Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked. And of course, I I (laughs) want to preface this by saying I'm not a political guy. I'm a lifelong, you know, conservative except for a little stint in high school where I, you know, leaned to the left, uh, like a lot of young people. But mostly I got involved in politics because of 9/11 and working in the national security community. I worked on counterterrorism, cybersecurity, you know, foreign interference in our democracy, threats against our country. And as a national security guy, my whole career in the classified briefing rooms focused on how to keep Americans from getting killed by bad guys. I've never seen a bigger threat to our country than in the man of Donald Trump, ever. That opinion is not some extreme opinion that I harbored and very few others did. Cabinet secretaries in Trump's administration saw him as as big of a threat as I have just described. Senior members Of his national security team saw him as a threat to the fabric of our republic. Those aren't my words. That was a cabinet secretary's words that he's a threat to the fabric of our republic. So you can imagine my deep, deep personal disappointment that in the campaign against him, some of those people who had pledged privately that they were going to come out full throated in opposition to Donald Trump instead chose to hold their tongues. Now, a lot of these are people who. Are at the end of their careers really have nothing left to lose and held their tongues. It ended up being the people, the kind of mid career folks like me or Chris Krebs or Olivia Troy or Elizabeth Newman or John Mitnick or Josh Venable. I could go on and on. It was mostly those people <laughs> just below the cabinet secretaries who had fucking everything to lose, who said, well, if he's a threat to the fabric of our Republic who gives a shit about Miles Taylor's home and, you know, his iPad or whatever. Like, yeah, and I felt the same way too. I was like, I, I get that this is gonna cost, but the country is way more important than that. Country over party, country over Trump, country over job, home, whatever. If you feel that way, you have a responsibility to say something. So yes, I was deeply personally disappointed. I mean, they say in Washington, don't meet your heroes because they'll end up letting you down, you know, when you get too close to them. I I've experienced that far too uh, you know, far too accurately is meeting these people and, and watching their moral failings up close. But I actually would, would contest that sentiment of don't meet your heroes, because what I really think people need to do, meet those heroes. They're going to let you down. But then you have a glorious opportunity to see where they fell short and to make up that difference. And that's what a lot of us who campaigned against Trump saw. A lot of us were let down by our superiors who, like Mike Pence, would refuse to stand up to Trump when he said disgusting things in the Oval Office, or other cabinet members who would stay quiet when he had crazy ideas, we saw where they fell short. And we tried our dandest to go out there and make up for that shortcoming by telling the truth. But those people still have an obligation to history uh, and to future generations to still speak out and tell the truth, because the legacy of Trumpism, like I said earlier, is going to be with us for a long time. They need to come out and lend credence to the notion that most of his team knew and believed he was crazy and undermined this idea that it was some nefarious deep state. It wasn't. The, the, the whole of the U.S. government largely saw the chaos that this man created, and it had wide-ranging effects on the operation of, of this institution the taxpayers pay every day to protect them, uh, and to defend them. It wasn't protecting and defend, de- defending them. It was protecting and defending Donald Trump because that's what he wanted it to do. So look, I'm not going to name more you know, of those people's names, Michael. They know who they are, and we know who they are because they didn't speak out. Some of them, though, fortunately did find ways to get the message out there. And I'll say that whether they did full-length interviews or not, it's stunning to believe that Donald Trump's national security advisor, chief of staff, Secretary of State, Secretary of Homeland Security, Secretary of Defense, and others, either to journalists or on background, expressed the same sentiments that I'm expressing. Never before in American history have so many people in the administration served a president and then opposed his reelection or derided his governance. It's, it's stunning. And, it, and I can't believe it hasn't broken through to mainstream Trump supporters.
1: Or actually, took papers off of his desk which I heard was a common theme uh, by many of the cabinet members considering that they were scared of what it was that he was going to do because of people like Steve Bannon or Steve Miller putting these crazy position papers in front of him which really was nothing more than five bullet points of pure nonsense but you know Miles you and I both share the dubious and surreal honor of having the former guy referred to us as lowlifes in recent weeks. Right. Now, listen, I'm gonna talk about myself for a second. Uh, you know, you may be a low life. I'm definitely not. Right. <laughs> I'll take so, that one. So too. Donald, this, so this Donald if <laughs> you
2: are you are both you are both genius and non lowlife. You're high life, man.
1: Right. You're you are Miller right. High Life. <laughs> exactly. Now your turn came. When he railed against you for um call for American renewal and denied knowing you, called your book fraudulent, and even hinted that you would be sued over it for causing a, and I quote here, a treasonous stir. I mean, this guy, he's so stupid. Now, mine obviously came yesterday in reference to, it was a 900 word um rant uh to the new york attorney general announcing their criminal investigation now in both cases it seems to be his go-to flex right this attempt to punch down in hopes of deflecting the conversation if you would discuss with me how it feels to get this kind of abuse from the former president of the united states and what do you and i actually do to combat this
2: well, uh, I don't want to be flippant about this, Michael, but I'm going to really tell you what played out the other day when he issued when Florida blogger Donald Trump issued that screed against me. I was here at my house. My phone was blowing up. I mean, just buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. And I'll show you why I didn't respond. I'm going to step away to the camera for a second. The reason I didn't respond is because I was busy with my little guy. I got this new puppy. His name is Martini. Oh my God, he looks is like he cute? A, a little Chewbacca. Right. What kind of guy, dog is that? It's a mini Aussie doodle.
1: He's, he's like my basically God, he a puppy cute. for life.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is oh, the guard dog Oh, don't show my children. They're
1: going to force me to get one.
2: Yeah, this is the guard dog I got to defend me against all the crazies, right? You know, all, <laughs> all 2.5 pounds of them will, will rush at our uh, at our enemies at the doorstep. But um, but look, this little guy had made a mess in the apartment. He'd be peed everywhere, and I was busy cleaning it up. And so I turned my phone off. I said, people need to stop contacting me. I don't know what's going on, but I got a puppy to take care of. And it wasn't until I got in the car later and I turned my phone back on that I realized people were reaching out and saying, hey, you know, the former president is putting you on blast. You know, you know what my response to that was, uh, Michael? It was, yeah, the, the puppy is a lot more important than that guy. And in fact, I kind of wore it as a very brief badge of honor, because if he's out there criticizing you, you know, you're doing something right. But but candidly. You know, it's what I said to someone else the other day. They asked, you know, but it was maybe three days later. They said, you know, what do you what do you think about Trump's statement? My response was, I don't.
1: Yeah, that's about the only way to deal with him is you have to ignore him. And my, my response is very similar to yours, uh, except I don't have a puppy. Uh, I actually had <laughs> friends that came over you know, to see me uh, yeah. and we were having dinner when, my, when you know people started texting me and my phone as well was going crazy. You know, Do you have a comment? Do you have a comment for Trump yeah. calling you a lowlife? I turned around and I said, oh, again? Right, And I even said it, I even said it to Joy Reid last night on MSNBC. I take it as a badge of honor. I really, truly do. Now, I want to discuss for a moment what's at stake for the midterm elections. We haven't talked about that yet. If the GOP is successful in taking back the House, we will have an extremist party still being run by a failed and unstable Donald Trump and could set up a dangerous moment where Trump is dictating congressional policy from Mar-a-Lago or from Bedminster, New Jersey. What's the plan with your coalition for 2022? Well, look, we're going to be involved
2: in the races. And, you know, I said it before and I'll say it again. We're going to get out there. We're going to oppose the radicals. We're going to support the rationals. And we're going to invest in what I call a deeper pro-democracy bench. What do I mean by that? I mean, literally invest in the candidates who are willing to say that the defense of our institutions is more important than the ego of a small and petty man. We want to invest in those people who want to look forward rather than backward, repair this country, repair the damage that's been done from Donald Trump. So electorally, we're going to go play. And you know, I hope that we can knock some of those people who've forsaken their oaths of office out of office in the election. We're going to try to do that, but we also want to put forward Really great folks in these key races to try to win. But I'm glad you point to the balance of power in the House. A Kevin McCarthy speakership in the House worries me for a lot of different reasons. And I'm sad saying that because I worked with Kevin McCarthy in the House of Representatives, worked with him and his staff on any number of bills and national security efforts and a whole range of things, got along with him. But I saw him become a completely different man during the presidency of Donald Trump. And the fact that after Trump lost the White House, Kevin McCarthy still flying down to Mar-a-Lago to take his orders from the supreme leader should really make us worried. If he gets the speaker's gavel in the House, it might as well be Donald Trump holding the speaker's gavel. That's what we're talking about here. So, to me, it's not you know, hey, we've moved past Trump. It's no. If if, if Kevin McCarthy becomes the next speaker again, it's like Donald Trump holding the gavel. So, I'm worried about that. I want to see the republicans reject a mccarthy speakership if if they win the house but more important than that i want to see people like that losing their seats so that's what our movement's going to try to do is play electorally in these battleground states and and hopefully get uh sane people in i mean look if if i had a a sticker and maybe we'll make some and put them on our website it's going to say i'm part of the i'm not crazy coalition so if you want to join the i'm not crazy coalition you know, get on board with us at a call for American renewal. That's what we're gonna to try to
1: do. But the GOP has this crazy sort of problem going on right now where you have individuals like Marjorie Taylor Green and Matt Gates running now off to Arizona for some rally when one of them is a QAnon conspiracist and the other one is a sexual predator that's right now under investigation, whose partner in it, Greenberg, Joel Greenberg has already provided law enforcement with enough information that Matt Gaetz shouldn't even be a congressman anymore. He should be an inmate. I mean, I don't understand how the GOP can allow two crazy individuals to go run around to create this rally all under the banner of the GOP, and yet you think that you're going to be able to get rid of them, get people away from Trumpism, to find people to replace them all at the same time. And it just seems like a cocktail that's just too difficult to make. Yeah, it, it, it does. I, I certainly would
2: never drink that cocktail, Michael, if it had if, if the ingredients said MTG plus Gates, uh, <laughs> I would run out of that establishment. <laughs> you know, if there was a coffee table book about their travels around the country, I don't know what you'd call it, maybe the pistol and the pervert or something like that. But I mean, these two are dangerous and they're the perfect poster children for why the Republican Party's gotten far too radical and needs to be brought back from the brink. I mean, these are not people who are defending our foundational institutions as a country. There are people who are actively trying to thwart them. Uh, and, and that really worries me. But I, I, this, I want to jump back to something you said earlier in the conversation. You said Trump was effective because he convinced the American people that the system was rigged and they needed an outsider to shake it up. And the piece of truth in that is that our democratic system has, in some ways, gotten too uncompetitive. There is a big party monopoly over our politics. And in many states, the Republican Party has has kind of shaped the rules in their favor, whether it's gerrymandering or, or voter suppression laws. And frankly, in some states, the Democratic Party has shaped the rules in their favor so that they can compete. Americans are frustrated by this because we live in a society where right now you and I can pick whatever rideshare company we want, wherever we want to buy clothes, wherever we want to buy food, we have unlimited choice and competition. But ironically, the only place we don't have choice and competition is our democracy. And that's because, again, of these enshrined, you know, uh, legal and regulatory measures to favor various parties. So another thing that we're going to try to do as a movement is break down those walls, do things like rank choice voting, make sure that voters, you know, voting is as easy as possible and secure as possible and undertaking these measures around the country. So one day, and maybe it's not this year, next year, 10 years from now, maybe it's forty years from now. But so one day more political parties can emerge, more candidates can get in the race, that there's not barriers to entry. And that like everywhere else in our society, we've got freedom, choice, And competition. That is what truly will reform our political system. That is what will breathe life back into the civic experiment that is this country. And that is what will address those foundational concerns that even good people who voted for Donald Trump harbor deep within them. And and, and we're going to try to catalyze that movement uh, today.
1: Well, that's, it's a big, it's a big task and it's a worthy goal. You know, Miles, as we're winding down the hour, I have one last question for you. And it's one that I ask a lot of people on this podcast. And it's one of my greatest fears. It's like I said, it's something that I discuss a great deal on this show because it's that crazy. And my concern is not so much of the return of Donald Trump, but that in this environment, a smarter, a slicker, a less flawed and a more capable version of Donald Trump will emerge to take the MAGA mantle to frightening new heights. Now, I've heard significant rumblings that Tucker Carlson is positioning himself in that fashion for 2024. What have you heard? And if you would discuss this with me, because I think Tucker Carlson is a dangerous human being. There was uh a...
2: there was a movie, maybe 15 years ago. You might remember Michael called V for Vendetta, and uh, there's there's a character in this movie that is a hyper conservative fringe talk show host. And the movie is supposed to exist in a dystopian future. And if folks haven't seen it, I'd urge them to go back and watch this. Not everything about the movie is perfect, but this this very foaming at the mouth uh, conservative host tries to uh, incite essentially, uh, you know, sort of uh, insurrection against various forces within the country. I think back to that character when I think of Tucker Carlson, because I can remember when I first saw that movie, I thought, this is not realistic, right? This is not a realistic dystopian future. There's never going to be someone like that in the mainstream media. There is in the person of Tucker Carlson. And you're absolutely right. It's going to be a smarter authoritarian that takes Donald Trump's Place and tries to hijack his movement to do worse things. And I don't think that that's a possibility in the future. I think it's happening in real time. I think people like Tucker, who mainstream misinformation every single day, senators like Josh Hawley, who raise their fist in the air to champion the, the armies of the untruth, uh, are the ones that we have to worry about. They're, they're among us today. And we've got to be very vigilant. And so again, I go back to the fight didn't end. On November 3rd last year, it it only began on January 6th. And and we're all in it together. I mean, every American Republican Democrat, I don't care. We should all support a free, open, competitive American democratic system and a vibrant civic society. And those are not things that the Trump movement stands for.
1: We should be also trying to promote truth. And honesty, now many people will say, well, look, you, you lied to Congress. Yes. And I suffered the penalty for it as others should as well. You do not have the right to provide misinformation or disinformation to the way that Tucker Carlson and others are doing it. Uh, it's absolutely abhorrent. It's Confusing to so many people. I mean, there are actually Republicans that will turn around and fight you to the death that mm-hmm. this election was stolen from Donald Trump. Simply why? I heard I heard on Fox News. I heard Tucker Carlson say it. I heard I heard Sean Hannity say it. I saw Megan Kelly off on some other program saying it. I heard this one saying it. And then you turn around and you say to yourself, Yes, Fox News, Newsmax, OANN. They're all promoting disinformation all for the benefit of their supreme leader. And it it should be met with consequences. But right now, there is none. And, you know, they're fighting now Facebook because Facebook is taking people off or they're limiting what you say and then they're claiming First Amendment. I mean, we really have to get our shit in order because facts really do matter. And if we're going to have fair elections, if we're going to have, you know, um a democracy, we really need it to be predicated on truth and reality and not all of this innuendo. Well, Michael, you've maybe inadvertently
2: give us given us another slogan for our movement. Maybe it should be we've got to get our shit in order. So I, I like that bumper sticker <laughs> and we'll we'll take that under advisement. But you couldn't be more right and I would just if I could echo one last thing before we part, it would be I go back to, you know, the only way that we lower the price of dissent in this country is by increasing the supply. And that starts with everyone. That starts with everyone trying to tell the truth, trying to be objective and and really promoting that in their daily lives. That's how we get there. I mean, Washington's not what's broken. We're what's broken. And so we got to fix that within ourselves if we're actually going to repair Our political system. So, you know, you're you're working to do that every day by trying to get people on to tell the truth. And uh, and I hope people listen.
1: Miles, thank you so much for coming on the show again. You stay safe, stay strong. And um, let's just let's just hope. And I ask everybody to please check out your website.
2: All right. Thank you, my friend.
1: Much appreciated. And now for today's mea culpa. You undoubtedly have seen a lot of me over these past few days and some of you may even be sick of seeing my face. But I truly am on a mission to honor the commitment I made to the late great Elijah Cummings when I appeared before the House Oversight Committee. His words to me were ones that I'll never forget and wish to share with all of you today. He stated, fealty to Trump was a part of your destiny, and hopefully this portion of your destiny will lead to a better Michael Cohen and a better world. Every day I wake up and think, am I doing all that I possibly can to defeat and finally dethrone this man who has caused so much hurt and pain to so many millions? I am laying down a gauntlet now to all of those who have and hold information on Donald Trump or his organization or family. He may be gone from the presidency, but he is still very much a danger to us all. The only way we move forward is if Trump goes to fucking prison. And it's my duty, it's your duty It's all of our duties to say what we know And put this man away And close the door on this ugly chapter Once and for all And thanks for listening Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up Midas Touch and LSJ Media And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek Executive producers are Jared Gustat Jimmy Jelinek, myself Michael Cohen And Phil Alberstadt Our editor is Lisa Orkin it may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. Hey movie lovers, who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto
2: TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts. Ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. During our lowest prices of the season, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 C2 Smart Bed is only $899. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com.